Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. As contemporary society struggles with questions of equity and power, all of us would do well to consider the radical proposition of Scripture, which demotes everyone to the lowest level, assigns some to exercise an unequal authority for its purposes, and then demotes the latter along with everyone else, leaving them in a worse position. So the last shall be first, and the first last. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 341 of the Bible as Literature podcast. There are times when you hit on a critical point when hearing a text, and last week was one of those moments where we identified the importance of the pressure, the accountability, the onus that is placed upon the one who is given a responsibility in God's Roman household, and that theme continues here at the beginning of chapter 20. In the previous passage, the rich man was sent away because he wanted to do a little bit. He didn't want to do the whole thing, but he wanted to get the full reward. Peter said, hey, me and my friends, we did everything. We should get the full reward, right? Yes, you get to sit on the thrones and be judges over the tribes of Israel. On the other hand, there is pressure. The first will be last, and the last will be first. We think that Jesus is starting on a new point because it's a new chapter. In fact, he's repeating the point that we had in the previous chapter almost verbatim. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Right away, Jesus is setting up, in this case, a business example of accountability. A landowner is trying to make his possession bear fruit, to make his vineyard productive and profitable. He's hiring people to work in the vineyard. The apostles, specifically Peter, are hired to do a job. He's not paying them in currency, but they have the same accountability towards Jesus as they would if Jesus was a landowner cutting them a check to do work. The payment is different. The currency is different. The wages of the kingdom are different than the coins we put in our pocket. 
for Christians who view participation in church life, so to speak, as an opportunity for them to be served by their community. On the contrary, you are being commissioned as an employee of the coming kingdom if this text is addressed to you publicly. Thank you, Father, for referring this back to the work that God needs done as the owner of the land. When we think of liturgy or we think of church, we think that we're doing something together. In fact, this parable makes very clear, the landowner is going and finding people who will do the work. The only criterion, the exclusive criterion is, are you willing to do it for this amount of money? Okay, come. He doesn't ask about their skills. There's no resume. There's no drug test. If you can do the work, come and I'll give you this much. If you don't want, don't come. But it looks like you're standing around doing nothing. This seems like better than nothing. But it's to do his work. He doesn't say, come to a conference, we're going to come and discuss what kind of work needs to be done. No. He doesn't say, let's go do some work together. No. He says, I need people to come and harvest in my field that I own. So if we think about church as, you know, sometimes we talk about the work of the people. It's not the work of the people in that it belongs to the people. It's the work by the people in that the people are the ones performing the work. But the work is God's. The harvest is God's. The field is God's. We're doing what God commanded to be done. We're fulfilling a duty that was handed out. And if we agree to it, then we do it. If we don't agree to it, then we go on our way. But we can't pretend that we're going to go to church and do our work. No, we perform the labor that God needs done. And there's nothing glamorous about being a migrant worker sitting around in the marketplace waiting for a wealthy landowner to drive by with a pickup and say, I need people. Do you need a job? Get in the truck. There's nothing glamorous about that. And what's interesting is the work that's being demanded by the landowner is not complicated work. It's just work. If you want to understand liturgia in terms of a bunch of people being picked up to go work in the field all day, then you understand what the work of the people is. As you said, it's not glamorous. I mean, go to Home Depot and you'll find people in the parking lot who are day laborers who are willing to be hired to come and do some work for you today. And someone exactly with a pickup truck or a van will come and say, I need three people to come and do this work on my house. The people will negotiate whether they will do the work or not do the work for the amount that the person is offering. They don't negotiate on what work needs to be done. He's not coming to the laborers in the parking lot of Home Depot to say, hey, I was wondering if you might be interested in working together with me synergistically to make my house beautiful. He doesn't go to the parking lot of Home Depot to host a retreat on vocations. He shows up and he says, get in the pickup. There's work to do. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So I love the way Matthew accelerates the story in verse 5. He wants you to know that this has been going on all day. He wants you to know how hard the landowner is working 
to get people to go work in the vineyard. So he comes at the sixth and the ninth hour, and he uses this word, Pauline, to stress the fact that it's again and again, he's coming back over and over again at each opportunity to make sure that people aren't standing around idle. When I hear this passage, it brings to mind St. John Chrysostom's Paschal homily. He talks about how everyone who comes receives their reward, but the time that you begin the work is less important than coming to do the work and agreeing to the wage. Whatever time they come, whatever time he calls them, there is still work to do. Whenever one comes into this vineyard, the only thing that matters is, do you do the work? Will you do the work? Will you follow the orders of the one who hired you, who brought you in, whose van drove you to this vineyard? That's the only thing that matters. When we think in today's terms, oh, we want to go to church so badly, are we talking about the work that God needs done? Because that's the thing that I don't hear in the discussion. I don't hear people saying, we need to do God's work, so we need to go to church. I don't hear that. They say, we miss our friends. We miss liturgy. We miss praying and singing together. But I don't hear people saying, we need to do God's work, because actually, on Sundays, there's so much work that needs to be done that's not in the church. I knew a guy who stopped going to church in order to do God's will. Why? Because he would go past a park on Sunday mornings and see a bunch of guys sitting around in the park doing nothing, and he would go and talk to them and preach the gospel to them. So he needs to go to church in order to do God's will, in order to do God's work? I don't think so. The vineyard is not the one that you declare. It's not the one that you own. It's not the one that you get any say over. The work that needs to be done is the work that belongs to the owner of the field. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each received a denarius. So this is scripture once again messing with our sense of entitlement. Not only is he not asking you to come with a pat on the back. He's just saying, get in the pickup. But he's then unfairly, from our perspective, paying people from the last to the first the same wage, meaning no one is special. No one gets treated any differently. On the other hand, it's a matter of grace. If you did the least amount of work and you came late in the day and you get paid a full wage— It doesn't mean that you're better than the first. It means that you should feel grateful that God is being so generous to you, despite the fact that you did less than the other. And the one who came first, the one who had the most responsibility, has to do more but doesn't get any more than anyone else. There's no special treatment for you based on your station or the amount of work you did. That is the difficulty of the biblical teaching. This landowner, he kind of seems like a troublemaker to me. I think he's trying to stir people up because he says, give them their money beginning from the last until the first. Okay, why would he add that? There are a couple other ways he could have done this. He could have said, go give everybody a denarius and not bother with this. So why did he add this? 
he's no dummy. He knows that people are going to complain. Why not pay the first people first and the last people last, and then the last people feel grateful that they got paid as much as the first people? He doesn't do it that way. So it seems to me that the only reason why you would specifically pay people in this way is to irk somebody, beginning from the last until the first, because, don't forget, he is responding to Peter and reemphasizing his words. If this rich guy ends up giving up everything and joining them, he's going to get paid first before Peter, and he's going to get paid the same as Peter if he decides to do the right thing. Jesus is as much of a troublemaker as this landowner, or this landowner is as much of a troublemaker as Jesus. I'm not sure which it is, but it is purposely constructed to put the most self-righteous ones on the spot. So the priest has to run around the town, knocking on people's doors, asking for help, getting doors shut in his face, getting people's complaints. And he finally gets to your house and you help that one Saturday for a half hour. On that day, the Lord's going to welcome you into the kingdom and the priest will get no greater reward than you should he be welcomed into the kingdom. That is the difficult message that Peter needs to accept. That is the bitter pill that he is being forced to swallow. You are going to be responsible for all this work implementing the gospel for the 12 tribes sitting on one of the 12 thrones. And at the end of the day, that guy who you brought in at the end, who was the least impressive person and did the least, you'll get no better compensation than him. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. This is the expected response to the landowner's unfairness. But how many times have we said on this podcast that life is not fair and God is not fair? No one ever quotes an adage about life being unfair when things work out. They talk about good luck. They talk about fortune. They talk about their hard work and their success. They utter platitudes about how they thank God while they're still talking about how they earned it. It's silly. We only talk about the question of fairness when the frame of reference is us versus them. What someone else has or what they don't have and they complain about, then we talk about life not being fair. What's interesting is the Gospel of Matthew puts everyone in the position of saying it's not fair, and then this allows God in Scripture to say, "Uh aha, you recognize that it's not fair. How is it fair that I accepted you into my household then? The minute you acknowledge that it's not fair, you are confessing the injustice of God's grace towards you. But that's the whole point of grace. Ultimately, Scripture is dealing with the marketplace of humanity, which is filled with all kinds of people, with all kinds of strengths and weaknesses, people who commit all kinds of atrocities and at the same time do amazing acts of charity and kindness. It's all mixed into one big grab bag called humanity, and all of it belongs to God. 
And anyone who imagines that they can differentiate themselves from others can only do so by ignoring their own flaws and their own cruelties and their own contribution to the suffering of others. Here, the first laborers commit the cardinal sin. They make themselves the reference point. You made them equal to us. The reference point is the master, and this is the way that grace functions. The way that people get called into the field, it's by grace because it belongs to the landowner. The landowner is the reference point. The one who teaches is the reference point. You and I were talking about how there's this wave nowadays because of social media to have headless organizations, but they've got no staying power. Because there is no reference point other than each individual ego among the millions of people on Twitter. Here, grace is distributed according to the grace of the landowner exclusively. He is not making one group equal to another group. That's not what he does, because that would assume that the group, the laborers, are the reference point, which they're not. He gives as he gives. Fairness is not... The criterion here, am I giving you what you agreed to, you? And the reference point is what I told you I would pay you. And now you're not happy with it. What's your criterion? But he answered and said to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. There is powerful terminology at work here in this last section of the parable. Because the Lord also refers to Judas as a friend in Matthew when he comes to betray him in the garden. It's an important point. And the Lord does business with each of us individually. His agreement with you as his disciple is with you. You have no right to look at the other. That works at the individual level. It works here at the community level. Because insofar as the word friend is a literary play, it's a reference to Judas. Judas himself is a reference to the Lord's people, the people of Judah, and Israel has a literary function in the Bible. It's not about Jews versus Gentiles. It's about those who received the Torah first. There is a greater pressure on them, just like there is a greater pressure on the paterfamilias in the Roman household. You received God's instruction. You should know better. That is the extra blessing that you were assigned a job before anyone else. But that was my agreement with you, and you had a benefit, and you accepted that deal. You can't now complain if I make another deal with a different person. And this plays into how we hear Scripture and how we apply it. Scripture orders us not to commit sin. What God does with other communities or other people is none of our business, and this saves us from self-righteousness. Remember what we say always, that Scripture only works if you apply it to yourself. The thing is, the people who worked in the first hour want God to be unjust 
so that they benefit. They want God to go back on his own word and give them more against what he himself said he was going to do. This is where people get fairness messed up because they say it's not fair, we shouldn't. No, what's fair is that God should do, the householder should do exactly what he said he was going to do. That's fair. Peter wants a little bit extra because he did a little bit extra, like the people at the first hour want a little bit extra that God did not agree to. When Jesus says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, we see exactly what happens. Your envy is going to be tested. Your self-righteousness is going to be tested. Your self-aggrandizement is going to be tested. Your ego is going to be poked and prodded and messed with. Your faith and your goodwill towards this master who gave you this grace is going to be tested. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.